Hey there, fellow foodies. This is Dr. Quave. You're listening to Foodie Pharmacology, the science podcast for the food curious. We are now in season five, and this is my favorite season by far because I've had the chance to invite all the people that I admire um, to come onto the show. And our guest today is an incredibly special um, woman who is doing so much to bring knowledge of plants and nature out to the public. Her name is Alexis Nicole Nelson. She is a cook, a forager, and internet personality who has become the master of TikTok with something like 4 million followers. I love watching her videos. My kids love watching her videos. I've learned so much from her. And Alexis, I'm so happy to have you on the show today. I am so happy to be here. I also have learned so much from you. So that street goes both ways. Awesome. <laughs> well, oh my gosh, I don't even know where to begin. Um, so this is a food podcast. Yes. And, you know, we talk a lot about crops. We talk a lot about um, the future of food, food security, food sovereignty. But we also talk a bit about foraging. And foraging is something that you are just incredibly passionate about and knowledgeable um, of. And maybe you could just start there. Tell us a little bit about how you became a forager and yeah. what what made you decide to start sharing that wisdom with others? So I started foraging as I feel like a lot of people who live in the Midwest or live anywhere that isn't extraordinarily urban do as a kid. Um, I was very lucky that my mother loves plants, has an excellent green thumb. I didn't get that part. Um, all of my gardens have to be like native plantings because the upkeep of taking care of things that are not from this area. This makes me feel so much better because like every one of my friends jokes that like I am like the worst gardener. They're like, you're an embarrassment to a botanist. I'm like, I'm not a horticulturalist. Like I get stuff in the wild, you know? (laughs) So thank you. It's a different science and it's a different art form. Like put me in the middle of, you know, a national forest and I will point out all of the different Mm -hmm. oaks and maples and beaches and everything. But if you handed me like, a horticulturist's belt at a <laughs> plant conservatory, I would no. be like, fire me. Um, <laughs> these plants are going to die. <laughs> That's amazing. Well, like, you know, this knowledge that you're talking about, though, is not trivial. Like, knowing how to identify, you know, not only all these different trees, but also, you know, herbs and weeds that kind of pop up at different times of year. And not only knowing how to identify them, but how to actually process them to take something that in some cases might be slightly poisonous um, and make it into a food is is an amazing skill set. So maybe, yeah, tell us about that. Like, you know, when you're when you're going on a walk or in a foraging, you know, exploration, like how how do you go about learning these things? Like, where do you start? (laughs) Yeah, and I get that question so often because it can seem really daunting, especially when you're like cracking open, say one of like Sam Thayer's books, or I mean, someone just recently told me, I was like scrolling through your page and there's just so much, like where does a person even begin? And I tell everyone, you just have to start small. Um, with the advent of some of these apps like iNaturalist, which is like such a great citizen science Mm -hmm. tool, I'll tell a lot of people, before you even think about putting plants into your mouth hole, 
how about you just go for a walk around your neighborhood and every time a plant stands out to you for some reason, take a second and ask yourself why it stands out. Um, mm -hmm. That's one of my favorite things to do when I lead in-person plant walks is we'll usually start with one tree or shrub or plant and I'll just go around the circle and ask everyone to name something that they see visually about that plant, kind of helping people turn off their plant blindness. Because uh, it's very easy to point at something big and be like, that one's a tree, that middle-sized one's a shrub, and that one on the ground is just a random plant, done. Um, but it really, I think the first step in becoming a great forager is tuning your ability to pay attention to small details on plants. And maybe it's like, oh, I thought it was just a tree, but the leaves are pinnate and not everybody's like that. So boom, there you go. You notice something or wow. this is really smooth and gray and not everyone else's bark is like that. Boom, you noticed something. And then with the help of apps like iNaturalist, you can, you know, use AI to then zero in on I'd say it's usually pretty accurate to plant family. Once mm -hmm. you get any more intricate than that, I'm just like, please never rely on these apps to, to, <laughs> to tell you what to eat. <laughs> but for a lot of people, just zooming in on the plant family is huge. And it gives you a jumping off point to read up on a plant more. So this time of the year in my neck of the woods, dead nettle, purple dead nettle is coming up mm -hmm. everywhere. Um, one of my favorite spring greens, mostly because it just means that plants are coming back to life. It's not the tastiest um, by itself. It is in like the broth that I'm sipping right now though. So it's nice. And it's just like, okay, let's just like zero in and take a look at this plant that you just noticed because it's late winter, early spring, and there are these beautiful little pink and purple flowers on it. Let's mm -hmm. just take a look closer. So I tell people, I know it seems daunting. You just have to start small. And the biggest, most important tool in your tool belt is honestly just your ability to notice things. <laughs> yeah. Well, this is why I always say, you know, the best people to go for hikes with are botanists because we hike really slow. So I, we slow. Have, we have like our own little yoga pose. I like to call it like the, the it's it's like not downward dog. It's not quite child's pose. It's somewhere in yeah. between. And we are like down with our little hand lens looking at something on the ground. You know, it's like, it's like face down, bottom up. And we're like, oh, yep. look at this plant. <laughs> I always, so. I tell everybody even if the place where we're going hiking seems kind of like a daunting trail, it's going to be easy peasy because I am going to be stopping every 15 feet yes. to look at <laughs> That's something. It. That's it. And you learn so much hiking with friends. I mean, yeah. what I what I tell my students to do is, you know, if you really want to start learning, um, you know, think about think about ways to join up with others through like native plant societies yes. or you know or like the local mushroom club oh, I the, mean, the local yeah. mycological societies yes <laughs> sometimes i think i am like paying very very close attention to things but when i see what our local mycological society brings back during forays i'm just like you noticed that 
oh my god i gotta start hiking even slower yeah 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 no it's it's a it's that careful power of observation that i think unfortunately isn't really taught in school the way you know it's just everyone's a bit distracted. I mean, this is like the good and bad thing about social media. On one yeah. hand, you have the amazing power to reach so many and share an enthusiasm for something, but you also want them to get off the social media to actually go look at the plants themselves, right? Exactly. I mean, if I could, if it wouldn't probably make the apps mad at me, I'd be like, okay, this was a fun video. Put me <laughs> down, go outside, touch grass. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Smell no, I mean... the lion. <laughs> hug a tree, something, get outside. I know. You know, it's funny, you know, when I was growing up, being a tree hugger was like this, oh, that that's, you know, a tree hugger? Oh, yeah. I love hugging trees. I always have. I'm like, let me climb and hug the trees. And so everywhere I travel, I like try and get like pictures of me hugging trees and like you know, because it's connecting with these other creatures. In some cases, some of these have been, you know, on our planet for thousands of years, some of these really old trees. Um, what's your favorite tree that you've ever hugged? I want to, oh I, I bet you have, I bet you have some cool one. <laughs> I do. I literally just got goosebumps thinking about this tree because there is a metro park here in Columbus. It is the the Blacklick Woods Metro Park for anyone who's local who's mm-hmm. listening. And it's kind of off the beaten path, but there is this like 400 year old oak, like one of the few trees in the area that never got raised for agriculture, um, Mm. that just sat on different people's property for long enough before the city ended up buying up the property to make a park like 70 years ago. And like it, it gives me chills to be in its presence because you're just aware of how much history that tree has lived through. I love giving that tree a hug. And I love thinking of all of the other people and animals that have also gone past and touched the tree over its lifetime. Yeah. Oh, I love it so much. And it just, it really feels like this hidden gem in the heart yeah. of the park because they're not loud and proud about it. You just kind of stumble on it and they have one itty bitty little plaque in front of it <laughs> yeah. being like a piece of Ohio history there it is there it is <laughs> I love that you could I think all of us can find a special tree to connect with in our in our neighborhoods or in our towns and yeah I think that's a that's a great way to get started with connecting to nature just learning about the species in your in your neighborhood on your yeah. walks yeah 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 I, uh, that has been something that I've been trying to have rub off on all of my neighbors in our neighborhood. And it's really sweet because now a lot of them are just like, oh, I know that all the trees in this little pocket park are (laughs) burr oaks because you were out here in the fall with the squirrels (laughs) gathering acorns. I'm like, hey, whatever works. That's awesome. So what do you do with the acorns? Do you make uh, acorn flour? I do make acorn flour. Tell us about this. Because, you know, acorns are so rich in tannins. And when I tell my students you can make flour, they're like, well, how do you do that? All these tannins would not be good to eat. But, like, there's a way to get rid of the tannins. How how do you process the acorns? Yeah. So I'm a a cold leaching girly. I like keeping the starches and the acorns preserved Mm -hmm. because – you never know what you're going to want to bake with them. Sometimes you want the starches intact. Sometimes you don't. But mm-hmm. 
while those tannins are amazing for keeping the acorns safe and secure until they find their way into the ground or into my forager's basket, um, <laughs> thankfully those tannins are water soluble, which Yay. when you're an acorn sitting on the ground over winter, that's great leaching out a lot of those tannins with all of the snowfall and winter rains. Uh, mm -hmm. But for us humans, that's also wonderful because it means you can grind up the acorns, kind of expose as much surface area as you can and then have it sitting in cool water. You change the water every few hours. It'll be really dark and rich with those tannins at first and get progressively lighter as you go. Um, I'm always like a taste test girly because sometimes the water will look very clear and the acorns will not taste the way you want flour to taste yet. Oh no. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I have learned that the hard way through several years of okay. processing. Always okay. taste it before you put them in the dehydrator. Nice. Um, and yeah, once it's done, you dry the moisture out of it. I will grind it super fine. And I have two coffee grinders, one for my coffee, one for all of my flowers and spices. And then you go from there. You can also hot leach them, which is usually faster, but it takes so much more hands-on time. Yeah, I'm a hands-off kind of girl too, so yeah. this sounds good. I like the, the yeah. cold leaching. It still sounds very fancy. It's cold leached <laughs> uh, acorn flower. Nice, nice. And well, there are acorns everywhere. And I'm just like, oh my gosh, guys, like there's literally food hidden everywhere. And odds are one of your ancestors at some point in time was chomping on acorns. Yeah. Well, let me let me put this into into the context of like current kind of pop culture, right? So we have this this show on HBO that everybody's watching, The Last of Us, where you're yeah. kind of, you know, right? Are you watching it too? Yeah. So I, I, I have not been watching it because everyone's been yelling at me to watch it. <laughs> it's All like, I know is they is cordyceps were a very heavy influence, and that's where my knowledge stops. <laughs> Well, it's like, you know, end of the world, Ophiocordyceps takes over, you know, humans makes them zombies. I won't give away too much after that. But, you know, they're living in this kind of post-apocalyptic world. And what I find interesting is you don't really have people foraging. There's hunting happening. It's okay. like, where, why aren't people gathering the acorns? Yeah. Why aren't they looking for the spring greens? Like, yeah. they're just, you know, eating these very old 20-year-old cans of, like, Campbell's soup and stuff. I'm like, no. What? No. What? No. Stop. You know? So, I, I've just always thought, you know, wouldn't it be amazing if in, in, in shows like that, if we had more of this introduced? And, you know, I want to I wanna just let the audience know, You've had some experience on on the screen. I saw you had an episode with Drew Barrymore and you were yeah. just, you know, out foraging with Jimmy Kimmel doing yeah. amazing things. And I'm sure there's lots of other things, you know, so what has that experience been like? Because that's that's reaching a whole different audience um, beyond what you, you've cultivated this amazing audience through social media. But what is it like to kind of work with both of those audiences and, you know, do you think it can make an impact in getting people excited about foraging? That is the goal. Um, that is yes. absolutely the goal. And both of those experiences, one, it's still wild to me that either of them happened. Um, I, with Drew Barrymore, she's very loud and proud about her love of flowers. So I was like, yes. okay, this makes perfect sense. We're going to gather some violets 
Um, mm -hmm. Shout out to the producers of our segment who had to go in New York City. And I literally had to use iNaturalist on my phone and be like, okay, these areas <laughs> seem like there would be a lot of violence. Oh my here. goodness. <laughs> <laughs> Just judging from everything else, everyone is tagging and how grassy it is. I would go look there and they found them. My goodness. That's amazing. No, this this brings a whole other level <laughs> to, to the search. So, you know, you're searching for these foods in the wild using um using like I naturally yeah, and then sending people. I love it. I love it. <laughs> so that was fantastic. And now every time I visit my mom, my mom is just like, Well, are you making me violet lemonade? Drew got violet lemonade. And yeah, where's my getting violet lemonade? And she did. I also brought some down for my mom for Mother's Day for the last, nice. for the last two years too. Um, but both of those experiences were wild and getting to talk to a group of people that I don't normally get to talk to mm -hmm. and sometimes it's phenomenal the segment with Drew was so well received and then I saw all of these folks making violet lemonade or just doing experiments changing you know shifting the pH of those anthocyanins mm -hmm. and shifting yes. them blue with baking soda and shifting it you know hot pink with lemon juice and that was so cool to watch happen I even watched Amazing. someone who made watercolor paints and made an entire painting just shifting the pH no way of the pigments oh wow from both grape hyacinths which will do the same thing and mm -hmm. violets and I was like this is the the coolest thing that I've ever been able to take like one percent of credit for <laughs> oh it's amazing that's it's about showing and getting people excited and then like to yeah. the point where they're actually trying it at home that's exactly that's awesome. and yeah I mean a lot of my videos I understand are things that not everybody is going to do not everyone is going to go like digging in the silt of the the mississippi river flood plain to gather wapato i get that but not everybody likes being waist deep in a bog like i do <laughs> some <laughs> things we just have to save for us like field botanists and that's fine it's fair, fair point. i also okay. love getting to do things like dandelion flower fritters an easy mm. one that anybody can be doing in the springtime and making it seem more accessible because when I was growing up I learned a lot about wild plants from my mom and from her mom but whenever I saw foraging kind of in book form or in pop culture it the was old white guy rugged <laughs> yeah Dream. And that, even as a person who's loved foraging from a really young age, honestly made me feel like I couldn't call myself a forager. I'm just like, no, I'm just making soup from the plants in my front yard, you know, like how kids play potions. I'm not living off the grid <laughs> for yeah. 30 days at a time or you know, pulling a Rob Greenfield and only eating the things that I grow, forage, and barter for a year of my life. Whoa. <laughs> that can make it seem really unattainable and can almost yeah. turn people off because they'll be like, ah, I never even watch, so I'm not going to yeah. try. So I was so thankful for some of these TV segments for showing just how easy and fun it mm -hmm. can be. Um, the Jimmy Kimmel segment was just a blast. And now it was so I much fun to watch. 
in my foraging basket because Guillermo <laughs> brought hot sauce and hot sauce on mallow leaves is so good. It's so good. Oh, that's amazing. That's um, great. <laughs> yeah, so I've been really thankful to get to reach so many new brains and show them that you don't have to be in the middle of the woods to forage. Anybody can do it anywhere. And you don't have to, the goal doesn't need to be living off of it. The goal can just be supplementing what you already have. And more importantly, fostering a connection with the spaces around you. I think that's so much more important than like, I gathered 50% of the calories I ate this week. I, that's just not attainable for most people. So yeah. Yeah, no, I agree. It's, I love this idea of making a connection with your foods because I feel like we're so disconnected today. We're disconnected yes. from the land. We're disconnected from each other. You know, we had a, a recent segment where we spoke about, you know, eating together and how important that is actually to our mental health to actually just eat together. But I can tell you when I'm out looking at plants I'm happy. I don't know what it is. Yeah. Like, it's just, it's not, you know, just my botany geekdom coming out. Like, but especially if I can make something from those plants, if I'm making medicine or I'm making some sort of food, I've never understood why people go to such lengths to kill their dandelions. I'm like, no, don't spray them. I want to gather them. Yes, <laughs> exactly. Give them to you know, me if you're not me. going don't... to use them. <laughs> you know, it's, uh, so I think it's like, re it's not just about seeing nature for the first time. It's about building that this nature is meaningful to me because yeah. this nourishes my body or this heals my yeah. wounds or, you know, it's that other level. And I think people are hungry for that. And like yes. what you do gives them inspiration of like, Oh, this is attainable. I don't have to be, you know, bear grills off, you know, in, <laughs> in the, in the wilderness, just like, you know, I mean, exactly. I, I think it's amazing if you can do that, but like you said, you can also just explore the, the wild foods in your neighborhood as well. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I, I do think people are so hungry for feeling connection, whether that's connection to their neighbors or their family members, or just like the space that they occupy in the world. A lot of times people will ask me in the comments of my videos, why do you seem so happy all the time? And I was just like, well, I'm not, but I am happy while I'm doing this. <laughs> that's right. So, there's something to it. There's something to just like spending time in the fresh air, getting your hands a little dirty. And the pride that I feel in making something with mm -hmm. the plants that I find. I, uh, it's been unseasonably warm in, on our half of the country this yes. year. And it was so fun. this morning being like ah, ha, 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 ha. I'm gathering my day lily shoots because it's that season and I'm gonna put these into my soup I'm so excited <laughs> and <laughs> everything else in the soup was also foraged but even if it wasn't I still feel like I would have felt really excited about the soup more so than I would from just a can yeah because I got to well, play a little role in you got it. to well and you got to pay attention to the seasons I think yeah. a lot about climate change denialism and how can people not understand and I'm like well of course they don't understand they don't understand the cycles of our foods the cycles yep. of our seasons and how that in you know how those you know larger climatic shifts affect 
when things flower, when they fruit, yeah. when you have you know more abundant wild game. I mean, there's like it's like all the effects on animals and plants is because they're not even looking at that at no, all not because into it. Yeah, we can get tomatoes any day of the year of in the this store, yeah. you know, which is insane. A hundred years ago would not have been possible, you know, at all. <laughs> so, and a, yeah. a pro tip from a person who does a lot of cooking for everyone who's listening. Yes, you can buy a tomato this time of year. Don't. Please just get canned tomatoes during the winter. At least those tomatoes were picked at peak season. The flavor mm-hmm. is going to be so much better than what you are going to get out of a fresh tomato this time of year. I beg of you, let the winter yeah. and the spring be your canned tomato times. Maybe even grow your own tomatoes and then can them so you can use them yes. during the winter. If you have the space and the ability, because that's always mm, the absolute best. Yeah, we live in this era where everything is available all the time. It's not like markets even 60, 70 years ago where there was a really specific time for Mm -hmm. plants. You know, asparagus would be in the early spring because it's before the asparagus of the asparagus would get too big and woody and frondy for everyone Mm -hmm. to be eating. You would... Our even I don't want to say our ancestors because it was just like two generations ago. Yeah, yeah. We were so, so much better connected to, I like calling them like micro seasons. All of these little things like, oh, well, it's about time for this because this happened. It's about time mm-hmm. for this because this happened. And one of the things I tell people foraging, one of the greatest gifts it'll give you is that awareness of like, ah, yeah, the dead nettles flowering, which means the shoots of the daylilies are coming up, which means I bet you in a week, if I go to the woods, the first of the little ramp babies are going to be coming up with some of the other spring ephemerals. Yeah. It's so beautiful. And it makes you feel a part of something so much bigger than yourself. Because you are in that context. Yeah. I mean, it it is it is really magical. It's it's funny because as an ethnobotanist, I study this in different cultures, and I'm totally an outsider. Because you know, I'm like looking at like, whoa, you know that the wild oregano, which is by the way, this amazingly fragrant oregano, grows on these rocky outcrops around the time you cut the grain. And I'm like, you know, and I go out, and then oh, and while you're there, you're able to pick all the land snails, and you have this amazing like tomato and land snail kind of. Uh, that you make so it's all these things that we're documenting as ethnobotanists in other cultures that has largely disappeared from our own but there were some things when i was a kid that i learned from my from my dad and i want to see if if you i want to see if you know of these so there's one thing called swamp cabbage which is a very florida like central florida thing it's the heart of palm of a a kind of palm and you cook this with i mean it's it's not all forage. You're throwing it in bacon and milk and butter and salt and pepper, <laughs> and it's just yeah. brewing in this big stew. And it's you can't buy it anywhere. It's just like something you find at like big family barbecues. Yes. Um, have you ever have you ever seen anything like that? This kind of swamp cabbage before. <laughs> I mean, first of all, that sounds amazing. Granted, I can't have a lot of the things that are in it, but it sounds. <laughs> Maybe we do without 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 the pork, without the milk and dairy. It'd be great, right? <laughs> it it reminds me a lot of collard greens. I mean, my mm-hmm. my dad's family is from the Gulf Coast in Mississippi. Yes. 
And so collard greens and a lot of the other greens that much more regularly up until the last, you know, 50 or so years were also used in place of them, be it turnip greens Mm -hmm. or poke salad. That was one of the plants that I learned from my dad's side of the family. Huge staple in so much Southern cuisine that very much has fallen by the wayside outside of a few pockets of like indigenous culture and Mm -hmm. Southern black culture. And with poke salad, oh my gosh, now, well, now we're getting to the time for it. Greens, where it's like you're making this yeah. whole fragrant broth and it has to simmer for hours and hours and hours after after boiling and draining the poke shoots. Yeah, boil and throw, throw, boil and throw. Yes. <laughs> then you can throw them in and start building all of your flavors. And, yeah. you know, growing up, it was, you know, whatever piece of pork you had left over thrown in and letting the fat mm-hmm. render and throwing your aromatics in with it and then adding in all of your greens. And now now it's usually me like, okay, well, I can't have bacon. So I'm throwing in some dulse seaweed that I gathered in Maine and letting nice. that crisp up and brown in oil and then adding in the like nodding onion flowers that I had dried or this time mm. of year. Uh, I'm like, oh, allium, vanilla, oh, that is crow's garlic, onion grass. It has too many names. Nice. But nice, <laughs> nice and allium-ish. My favorite weed. Uh, usually very good at spreading. We don't have a lot left of it in our yard anymore because we keep eating it. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. Yeah. So thing dishes like that, I mean, poke for some people used to be such a a big deal. You used to even be able to buy it canned until 10, 15 years ago, Mm -hmm. which I was shook that you could even buy it for that long. I did not know that canned poke salad, like very much made it into the 21st century, barely. And now yeah. it's kind of disappeared off the off the map, unless you are friends with foragers. There you go. Well, for those that, that are wanting to look up what poke is, it's Phytolacca americana. Yeah. You have to get it when it's super young, right? If yeah, it gets, you get if it gets older. Shoots. It still yeah. has to be meristematic. Meristematic. And that is hard to articulate. Tricky. <laughs> yeah, but you must collect the meristema. Yeah, I can see how that's hard to get across. <laughs> I'm like, oh, that's hard to articulate to someone who didn't have to sit in a botany class. Oh no. Yeah. Yeah. But it's it's one of those survival foods that's just amazing because it's poisonous. Yep. You have to boil it, throw out the water three times because yep. the toxic compounds found in the meristem tissue is is actually those are heat labile, so you can get rid of it. But if the plant gets big with all the fruits and flowers, definitely poison. Absolutely poisonous. Yeah. yeah. But if you know how to use it, I mean, that's what's so fascinating to me is how, you know, cultures across the world have taken things that are otherwise toxic, but they know, oh, I can eat this part at this time of year if I prepare it this way. I mean, that's how potatoes started, too. I mean, original potatoes were super toxic, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And things like tarot. And, yes. Oh my gosh, I can't. Um, I can't imagine being the person who was like, "Ah, yes, this is how we will get rid of that." Like, I just ate broken glass feeling and turn <laughs> this into a delicious cash crop. Yeah. 
that must have taken uh, quite a bit of innovation and generations of innovators to get generations to. Generations of innovation and breeding yeah. for plants that have less of those. Oh gosh, there calcium oxalate uh, crystals. Crystals. Mm-hmm. Not yeah. The those same are the same. Why you don't want to eat skunk cabbage. <laughs> Yeah, skunk cabbage or have your pets eat a lot of house plants have yeah. those crystals. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 like a very very good plant defense. That's why they make it. <laughs> yeah, and, when, and every time I'm just like, don't get mad at the plants. They're just really good at their job. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. Oh my goodness. Okay. Well, while we, I, I want to make sure we get to the science communication questions yes. I have too before before we get too far because I could literally talk to you for days and days and days about all these cool things that you can forage. But we're going to come back to some foraging recipes at the very end because I know you've got something cool you can share um, with the audience. Yay! So um, this this is a question I know so many scientists are probably dying to ask you, and it is you know because. There are a lot of us that are interested in science communication. You know, science communication takes many forms, as you know, whether it's audio or written or video or, you know, illustration. Um, and many of us have tried and, you know, I, I have a group of friends and we we talk about, like, how do we become better science communicators? We we try and have failed. I mean, I'm a big failure at some of my social media channels like Instagram, okay. Facebook. Okay, I, cannot, I, cannot work, I, know, but I cannot work that algorithm to save my life, which is like a good thing. My life's not dependent on the, on the Facebook algorithm. So I'm like, OK, maybe this isn't the right one for me. But. There are, I think each of us has strengths in different areas. And what you've really demonstrated is the ability to tap into an entire generation of of young people that are curious about nature. How did you determine which platform to go with? I mean, or even which format, long form, short form, video, written, like, how did you come to that? Did you have special training? And what advice can you get? I mean, I'm asking all the questions at once. I'm sorry, which is like yeah. that, that yeah, podcast post. No, I'm ready. Like, I'm tell excited. Me, tell me, tell me, how do you do it all? No, but it's, it, let's start with this. How do you decide on what format is a best fit for you and what advice can you give to people? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I, Contrary to what some folks might believe, if you have only followed me in the last couple of years, um, my first go at talking about foraging was not cute, quippy, 60-second long videos. If you scroll far back enough on my Instagram, you'll see for the first year and change, it was like long-form essays and Mm -hmm. hyper-contrasted DSLR photography. Lovely photographs. (laughs) Food I was making from them. Lots of overhead Bon Appetit-style food shots. And I... I built up like a a decent core following. I had a couple thousand followers after a year or so of just doing that. And as a person who has been told a lot from a very young age that I am very loud and often a little much for people, um, especially getting into like a collegiate science community and just being like, ah, why aren't all of the other engineers as talkative as me? Oh, this is just like not a thing that's as valued in the academic science community. Cool, 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 fine, awesome, great. So when I was going into trying to 
share this information and document it for myself, I was like, oh, people don't want me to talk. <laughs> I, I, I'm just going to write out everything and that'll be great. Mm-hmm. And I got a small platform, but it plateaued around a couple thousand followers. That's me right now <laughs> on Facebook. <laughs> Well, then hopefully, hopefully the next part of the story will give you hope and maybe some pointers. Yes. Um, at the time, I was, you know, kind of doing my foraging blogging, and I had tripped, stumbled, fell into a social media marketing job. Um, oh. I have always loved compiling real life data and then using that to inform communication decisions um you know being in college very much torn between my love of theater and the performance arts and writing but then also my love of science mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> the way that i the the way that i thought i had perfectly settled those two halves of my brain it was like oh well i'm working for this quirky company and we make these funny memes that also secretly make people want to buy our products. And every week I get to go and I gather all of my data about each of the posts from last week. And then I get to go and put them into my spreadsheet and look at the percentage changes of everything and then use those numbers to justify future decisions that we were making on Mm. that page you know, testing something in a small capacity on Twitter and then knowing, oh, this joke played really well on Twitter. I'm going to use that joke to inform a short video that we put on Instagram. And then that video does really well. Nice. It's very scientific. This is like yeah. experimental data and then analysis and then, wow, optimization. Okay. I can get Exactly. I was okay. just applying the scientific method to yeah. Instagram, essentially. Amazing. <laughs> yeah. And it was 2019. I I, I'm th- I think I'm allowed to say this. I worked for BarkBox, and so it had a very large and looming pop uh, like population. <laughs> I'm just using science terms now. Followers on Instagram and Facebook, and we knew that TikTok was going to be the next big thing. Um, mm-hmm. So my boss, who was solidly in her 30s by then, had decided I don't need to figure this out. I was the one who figured out how we made it work on Facebook and Instagram go child because I was <laughs> young and still in my 20s then uh you go figure out how TikTok works so I made myself a personal account and I honestly just started throwing spaghetti at the wall I was like oh my god this place has everything I'm gonna do a, a silly dance that didn't work okay I'm going to show what I eat in the day okay that didn't work cool I was just testing everything that I could think of, except for (laughs) foraging. I was like, nope, got to keep that separate. The children don't want nature. The children want giant red space boots. Uh, Sorry, those guys have been all over my newsfeed for the last (laughs) week. And just one day on a whim, shortly after the world shut down in early 2020, Mm-hmm. I made a video for my own personal page and was like, hey, are you terrified of going to the grocery store? <laughs> Me too, for more reasons than just my acute anxiety disorder. Here are five plants I know are growing in your neighborhood, regardless of where you live, that you can eat 
to stretch out your groceries back when we thought we'd only be inside for two weeks. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) And it was extremely basic. It was like garlic mustard, or if you have it in your area, black mustard. It was dandelions. Mm -hmm. It was violets. It was onion grass. And that video took off. (laughs) Wow. I mean, that's, that's it. You're hitting the exact moment with the kind of information people were desperate for. I mean, really, I mean, I would, I remember this is a time when I'm like, you know, I would get like grocery delivery after a while. I mean, we lived on a bag of potatoes and some like gourds for a long time in our house, but then it's like, you know, the Clorox wipes every surface, you know, it's like, you know, wiping down the the surface of the banana. (laughs) Yes. All of that. It's like, no. Okay. So you, I see. So it's a scientific method. It's really being well attuned to what, you know, what you're going through, what you yeah. needed to do, you know, and then sharing that. At, yeah. Amazing. I think it was just, yeah, recognizing a moment that everyone was going through together and mm-hmm. just honestly sharing what I was doing. Yeah. And I, I do notice myself doing this and it's something that I think happens a lot in SciComm where we sometimes forget that the people we're talking to have not sat in the same classes that we have sat in and they Yeah, that's, a, that's a definitely difficult. Yeah. yeah <laughs> Parastimic tissue, okay. The same language <laughs> that, yeah. that we necessarily do to communicate, but they are still smart. So it's walking yes. this line between not talking down to anybody, just talking to everyone like I would talk to a friend. Yeah. But then also making sure that it's a friend who has like not sat in a great deal of plant science classes. And when I'm able to thread that needle well, that is when I tend to find my content doing really well. Or when it can relate to a a real life, a real life thing as if foraging isn't real life. I just did a video on throat coat tea and I was like, yeah, the secret is slippery elm. But if you have one of these weedy Siberian elms like I do, and they send out a million shoots, the, you know, chunkiness of a baby's wrist every year, (laughs) you can actually make your own throat coat tea. I'm going to show you how. Um, It's just finding all of these unexpected ways that people can recognize something in a world where they didn't think they would recognize anything. And I've seen a lot of people doing so well with this, like Astro Katie in terms of all things space and astrophysics. Mm -hmm. I'm just like, "Mm, physics is where I tap out nine times (laughs) out of 10. Physics is the reason why I did not get an engineering degree while that is what I started off as. We got to physics and I was like, no, none of this actually. (laughs) But when a great science communicator is explaining those concepts to you, not only do they make sense, but they get you excited about them. Yes. Agreed. Yeah. Oh, that's such a, that's such great advice. And so, so well said. I mean, you're right. I don't really understand physics, but there are, you know, there are these science communities that write these books or have, you know, 
various platforms can get those messages across. And I, it's, it's about real connections. What I love about your yeah. videos is I know like, this is the real you, this is you living your life and giving us a glimpse inside, like, you know, what you're dealing with in your garden, like these suckers are in my way, yep. <laughs> chop them up and make my throat coat tea. You know, <laughs> that's, it's, it's amazing. Someone once asked me if I was, it was like a pretty early interview. I definitely still had under a million followers on TikTok and they asked if it was like an act, if I was just <laughs> playing a character. <laughs> and I remember being like, do you think that if I had a say in the matter, this is the person I would choose to be playing? I am a very loud nerd. <laughs> Don't you think I would choose someone cooler to be? <laughs> Come on now. Oh, well, I you're a you're a nerd. That. You're a nerd that's expiring so many, Alexis. Oh, and I, I, I'm, I'm so excited. By the way, for all the listeners, I know I've been telling you guys about this really cool conference coming up in June. It's yes. the joint conference of the Society for Economic Body and Society of Ethnobiology. And I am so excited because Alexis is going to be there. I can't wait. I know. And I know at some point we're going to have to sneak away to the park and do some foraging. <laughs> yes. Yes, please. My sister yes. lives in Atlanta and I also have her scouting. I'm just nice. like, oh, tell me where I'm going when I am there to forage, please. Yeah. Thank you. Well, and you'll be you'll be happy to know too. Um, our mutual friend Linda Black Elk is going to be here, and uh, yes. she's doing yes, she's doing a workshop on foraging right before your SciComm. So I think I'm gonna like totally. I mean, I'm gonna be handling so many like last minute things, chairing the committee. But I'm Casual. gonna definitely I'm gonna be definitely sneaking away to both of your um <laughs> sessions. because no, that's I my will happy send place. You the PowerPoint presentation. I don't want to put another thing on your plate. No, no. At least. <laughs> I'll just you just find me laying down in the grass in the in the forest, very happy, like munching on some dandelion. <laughs> that's, that's where I'll escape to. I love these types of conferences and gatherings i'm always just like i wish i could be everywhere at once though nothing is yeah. worse than other really cool things happening while you're teaching and i'm just yeah. like no <laughs> split me no, in two i want to be in both places at the same time yes yes well no, we are going to be we are going to be recording. Robin Wall Kimmer is our opening speaker. We I can't have... wait to cry at her. Yes. <laughs> I, need to get her, I need to get her some like bodyguards just to keep me and my my, my, my friends awake. Yep, just, exactly. like, bestow your wisdom. Um, yeah, we've got Robin. And, oh my gosh. And um, I don't know if I told you this, but uh, another good friend, um, Chef Sean Sher Sherman, yes. is also going to be there. Um, so, I love yeah. Sean so much. He's, he's great. He um, he cooked our, our, our banquet feast back at our last meeting in Madison. And, really? But this time I'm not going to have him like cooking. He's just going to come and talk and enjoy and like, you know. It'll be another it'll be shameless great. plug on here. If you are I know. listening and you live in the Minneapolis area and you haven't mm -hmm. gone to Awami yet, you gotta go. It's, it's fine. I forgive you, but like you should make your reservation now. Yes. All the foods are, everything on the menu is 100% indigenous to the Americas, which is like 
Does any other restaurant even do that in the U.S.? I don't know that there is. Like, are there other restaurants that do? I mean, it's so that are like fully indigenous. Yeah, that's it's amazing. I I haven't been yet. I need to make a flight up there just to go. I do. (laughs) I mean. Name the time and I will be on a flight. Here we go. Just popping up to uh Minneapolis for dinner. Just popping by. (laughs) No, it's it's amazing. I've heard so many great things about it. Well, on the topic of food, because I know we're almost out of time. Um, what kind of recipe might you share with us uh before we go? Okay. So if we want to go very very basic and also very quintessentially uh ohio it is spring tonic season spring Mm. tonics take a lot of different forms but the general idea was ah we're coming out of this long winter it is time to stop living off of our larder and reinvigorate our body with all of these like fresh leafy greens and all of the vitamins and minerals they have And for some cool people, like some of my grandparents, that entails just taking all the first edible greens that come up and putting them into a high-proof alcohol and letting them sit for a couple of weeks and then putting a couple drops in your water every day, every time you have a glass of water. But spring tonics can also be things like a nice spring soup. One of my favorite spring tonics this time of year, since our neighborhood is rife with dandelion greens, dead nettle greens, and with onion grass, that allium vanilli. Vanilli, I never know whether to say the E at the end or not, and I've heard it pronounced so many different ways. (laughs) (laughs) I have no idea. I don't know what that one (laughs) is. It's like that one, the one one that's everywhere and isn't native. And the one that tastes good. Yep. <laughs> yep. And the one that tastes amazing. Linda Black Elk makes an amazing kimchi out of it. That can be a recipe that she shares. Yes. But I love just making a spring tonic soup, taking a neutral oil, sauteing my onion grass greens in it to get them all nice and fragrant, and then throwing in just as many dead nettle greens and dandelion greens and honestly in my front yard some of our prickly lettuce already has its their little rosettes as well so taking some of those really tender prickly lettuce leaves throwing them in with your aromatics adding a little bit of broth um during the winter i just i make mushroom broths all the time so throwing in whatever extra broth you have left Blending it all up if you want it to be nice and smooth. And you have like this delicious spring tonic of a soup. And it's so versatile. You can just kind of amend it to whatever is coming up in your neighborhood. And then salt and pepper it accordingly. Oh, that sounds amazing. (laughs) Yummy. Okay. Spring tonic soup it is. I'll have to add that to our menu this week at home. (laughs) Well, thanks so much, Alexis, for coming on this show. This has been so much fun, and I can't this wait to see so you much this fun. Year. I want to just keep yes. chatting. I'm like, yeah, we're just we're just friends <laughs> having a little catch up chat. <laughs> yeah, it's great. It's great. Well, um, for all the listeners, again, if you want to catch Alexis at this great upcoming conference, you can register. Um, we have in person and virtual options. And Alexis, do you have any other news to share? Where can they find you online? If you Ooh. haven't seen her TikTok, definitely check that out. Where where can we send them? 
if you are on TikTok, I am at Alexis Nicole, and that is N-I-K-O-L-E. Thank you, mom. Uh, you know, she's Kim with a Y. She had to give me a, an odd letter thrown in there. I appreciate it. It is not Black Forager like it is everywhere else because I didn't think people wanted me to make foraging content when I made my TikTok. And I simply haven't changed my name. Everywhere else that there can be content though, you can find me as at Black Forager uh, because back when I first started them and it was just essays and photography, I wanted mm -hmm. people to know a Black person was making that content because we forage too. Nice. So <laughs> important. Representation, excitement, yeah. communication. You got it all going on, Alexis. Oh. I can't I can't wait to see you. Well, thanks so I much know, for I coming on the show. See you in person yeah. at long Yay. last. <laughs> awesome. Well, uh, foodies, you've been listening to Foodie Pharmacology, the science podcast for the food curious. We, this has been recorded on Restream. I want to thank our producers, to Rob Cohen and Christine Roth, for helping us develop a great show each and every week, bringing that content to you. Uh, we do the show with no commercials, so that means that we rely on you or dear listeners to help us keep it going. So if you'd like to support us, you know, you can do that just by buying me a coffee. You can do that at buymeacoffee.com slash foodiepharma. You can also um, pick up some cool merchandise at mysterycontrol.com and just uh, look under the Foodie Pharma um, list. Thanks so much for listening. Stay healthy out there and we'll see you next time.